Kind of reminds me, John, today, the shows we used to do in the height of the COVID era, the Joe show, when we just lined up all the wall guests, we might have five on in a given day. Today we have four, and I want to give you the lay of the land. These things come together within the hours of the morning when we're both hunkering down and working on various things. And so within the last couple of hours, the lineup looks this way. Yesterday we did have Stephen Jackson, and he will join us at 12.05, part of the Hall of Fame class of 2023. And at about 12.25, 12.30, right after Stephen, we'll get a little bit of a look at Stanford, a first look with the new play-by-play voice of the Stanford Cardinal, Troy Cardy. And I'm not, I've never met Troy. I don't know much about him, but look forward to having him give us some insight into Stanford football. So that's in the second hour. But this first hour, and this is how it's all kind of come together, through various conversations and texts and calls, another member of the class of 2023, a person that's been in this studio many times, a person that uh, Oregon State Athletics has a great deal of um, indebtedness to in terms of his contributions when you look across at all the things that this gentleman was involved with, uh, raising of Reeser, the expansion of Goss, the White Track and Field Center, the Valley Football Center renovation, Gill renovations, and so much more. Oregon State, former director of athletics, Oregon State director of uh, athletics from 2002 to 2015, Bob DeCarolis, joining us next after a quick timeout. So then at about 1130, we'll visit with a current member of the Oregon State women's basketball team, Kelsey Reese, from down under into the Beavers by way of Utah, a transfer into the Oregon State program, a big forward that uh, I think will make tremendous contributions to the Beavers, as she did uh, for Utah uh, for her first three years of collegiate competition. But we look forward to meeting Kelsey and talking about the current state of affairs at Oregon State with women's hoops but also visiting with a good friend to Oregon State Athletics for many years. Came here in 1998. Complications from Parkinson's, which he's still fighting, uh, led to, uh, even though he'd gotten a a well-deserved contract extension, he resigned in 2015. Ended up working for uh, Renee Baumgartner at Santa Clara most recently, but is retired from that and living back here in the Beaver State. Bob DeCarolis joins us next, followed by Kelsey Reese, followed by the great Stephen Jackson, and then Troy Cardy on Stanford football. So that's the lay of the land. We're going to break and come back with Bobby D next on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker with John Warren from the studios of 1240 Joe Radio, a place that our next guest frequented many times in his role as an assistant associate athletic director first from 1998 to 2002, then as the director of athletics at Oregon State from 2002 into 2015. And he would favor us with visits out here many times to answer questions, a little bit sort of a precursor, anticipating sessions with Sarah. Sarah Elcano has been great answering a lot of our questions as we've gone. It is a Real pleasure to reconnect with OSU Hall of Famer to be officially inducted in a well-deserved induction Friday night ceremonies in the Toyota Club. Bob DeCarolis joins us. Bobby D., it is great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you doing? Well, we're both doing well, and we're really glad to have you on. Since time is short, and we really appreciate you making time, Bob, what... (laughs) 
when I when you go into the, the Hall of Fame this Friday, there's just too much ground to cover in terms of all the, the projects you were involved with, the people you were involved with, the coaches, student athletes, and so on. So what are your overall thoughts about coming back and being inducted into the Oregon State Athletics Hall of Fame? What it all means to you? Well, first of all, it's a great honor to, uh, and I'm humbled to be part of that induction. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a it's a reflection and a combination of all the different people, like you mentioned, the donors, the administrators, the student athletes for sure, the coaches, um, on and on and on and on, and uh, everybody doing their job, blowing the boat, as you say, and. Um, having a positive effect on the, on the program. And I think uh, wherever I went, it was always about trying to make it, make the place a better place than what you found it. Bob, and I think uh, yeah. we accomplished. No, you certainly, you certainly did. And we'll get to some specifics in a moment, but I, I wonder, I know we've talked about this, but when you chose to come out here from Michigan, hired to be an assistant AD back in 98 with Mitch, how did that come about? Did you have a previous relationship with him? No, did not have a previous relationship with him, and uh, um, just got hooked up with him through some uh, other other friends that that knew him, knew me, and was uh, he was looking for somebody that had um, extensive experience at a big institution on the internal side. Of course, he had the experience on the external side, a gifted fundraiser. And uh, it was a good match, and uh, Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside, that's what <laughs> Right. Yeah, I remember you guys uh, in the beginning, and of course it all started here when you were an assistant with the Truax, and then Mitch leaves and goes to Kentucky, and then you took over and continued to build. Bob, what was the last thing that you had your hand in? Was it the, the new side that just got unveiled? You got, you got that started? Actually, that was, uh, it would have been um, the end zone project. Uh, I was pretty heavily involved in, in the design of that of that uh, project and then left uh, the institution in 2015, so before it actually got started. Okay. OSU Hall of Famer Bob DeCarolis will be officially inducted this Friday night in ceremonies. I mentioned earlier, Bob, before we brought you on, but the over $180 million in improvements at Reeser. You were involved at the end with the 40 at Reeser and other uh, uh campus projects, the $42 million expansion of the Valley Football Center and the terrace that you just referred to. Time fails to go over every one, but when you think about, you know, when we look around the campus in the athletic village, your your fingerprints your, are all over uh, those projects. What are you proudest of? What was the, the thing that really gave you and your staff and everybody a real sense of, hey, we, we got this thing done? Well, Obviously, you got to look at Reacher Stadium. I mean, that, you know, nobody thought that that could happen. Yeah, it took us 20 years to finish the project. But, uh, you know, so, uh, but it, it came out beautiful. And what Scott Barnes and his group have done for this last phase is, uh, is tremendous. I mean, it's, uh, I've not seen it yet um, brick by brick, but uh, just what I have seen, it, I'm very impressed. Yeah. 
Bob DeCarroll is joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. For years, Bob, the, the parking garage was built and it, it remained empty underneath. It was just a gravel pit that was cordoned off by Cyclone. And I kept hounding you and hounding you. <laughs> Build something there. Make something out of that. Did I have any influence in the building of what is now the OSU Beaver Store? Do you have any, any what? Influence. influence. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> It's a good thought, though, John. Well, it's a good you know, thought. I tell you, it, it, turn, it turned a, out great. It was a good thought. It was a good thought. <laughs> well, it turned out great, and I had a great time with you. A couple of years, we went to the College World Series in 2006, and you did color uh, commentary with me, and and then I remember, uh, fondly remember, I retell the story. Softball, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, softball, sorry. Yeah, and I fondly yeah. retell the story, Bob, of when uh, – when you and I went to Michigan, I think it was for a super regional, and you were we were driving around, you were pointing at things, going, "Oh, I had a part of that." And coach, that's where the softball field. That was a lot of fun uh, on that trip. It was a super regional, and I remember they had a a band right in front of our location, if you recall, where we were broadcasting. Yeah. And I thought, well, Bob, you got to pull some strings and get this <laughs> taken care of. Well, I didn't have as much influence as I thought I had. <laughs> Well, and you were involved in that, in that radio and broadcasting and all of that. I mean, you were great with us out here in studio, Bob. And that was sort of, I mean, you, you had at one time an interest in all of this nonsense of radio, right? In your earlier days. Well, we did a little bit of uh, DJ work, portable DJ work. And, uh, you know, uh, rent, rent, rent myself out for parties and those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. we have fun with it. Yeah. No doubt. Bob DeCarroll is joining us. I will make a quick list here, and if there's anything I missed, but these are, it's just amazing to me to walk around now and see the the raising of Reeser and the expanding of Beaver Nation, that major project that really got the ball rolling, but the Tommy Prothrow football complex, Gill renovations, the Valley Football Center project we touched on, the White Track and Field Center, Goss Stadium at Coleman Field, the OSU Basketball Center under your watch, the Samaritan Sports Medicine Center, the Aussie Golf Center, the OSU Boathouse, the Sports Performance Center, the Dale Thomas Wrestling Facility. Mm. Bob, I mean, that's a lot of stuff. I mean, you're just constantly working in, in the world that you and Scott and others are in. But, I mean, you that's a are you pleased? Are you, in a sense, when you hear that list, kind of what jumps out into your mind? Well, you're, I don't think you're ever pleased. Because what comes along with that, I mean, those types of things put you in a position to have a chance. Mm-hmm. And that's all it does. The next step then is to take that chance, that opportunity, and thrive on it and move it, move it up the, the ladder. And so, you know, when you talk about um, baseball and you talk about Pat Casey raising all that money for, for that program over the years, which is constantly striking when the, the iron is hot and then making it happen on the field. I mean, that's, that's, that's the end, end game that you're trying to get to. It's not just building the facilities. It's a, it, the, the facility gives you a chance to be on par with everybody else. And then you just got to gotta do it when you got the opportunity to, to win. Uh, and yeah. you did. Bob, was the was the woolly mammoth discovery one of the craziest things you ever saw in your administrative life? I was going. I was going by the time they found that thing. Okay, Bob. But, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I think the craziest thing that we ever had was um, 
well, two things would have been, uh, I referenced it earlier, was the uh, groundbreaking for this research. Well, if you, if you remember, it happened during pet day, of all things, um, and that's when uh, all the pets went wild in uh, downtown Corvallis after the uh, fireworks went off. <laughs> and then the infamous possum game. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's right. 2000, right? Yeah, and Bob DeCarroll is joining us. Bob, you you will be inducted alongside of uh, some some very distinguished uh, people in the history of Oregon State Athletics, including Stephen Jackson, who will be joining us later today on this show. But when you mention the, the possum game and some of those other things, it brings me back to, I'd love to hear you recount the story of how the head coach of that 2000 Fiesta Bowl team became the head coach at Oregon State and what that process was like as you and Mitch and Greg Byrne and others were working through. How did it come about and where were you when the call came, hey, we might get Dennis Erickson? What, what's your recollection on that? My recollection was that we, were, we had four major candidates we were looking at, and uh, Greg Byrne was part of that search process and uh, Steve Priest was also. And, um, uh, and we got back in those days, there was no cell phone, right? So you're, you're, you're waiting for all these pink slips to be filled out by uh, somebody to get the, get them to you and uh, follow up on the call. And so, um, uh, as it goes, as the story goes, uh, we, we did the four candidates and uh, we had a call from Dennis Erickson. And um, we thought he was going to call us and give us a recommendation because there was about five guys that were in his coaching tree that were up for the job. Mm. Um, I just saw Mitch's face. You can tell that something was up. And as he got off the phone, he said, I think he wants the job. <laughs> and so we were, we were supposed to, we were on a private jet. We were supposed to land in Portland. And um, it was getting to about the last half hour of the trip. And the, uh, the uh, pilot comes back to us at the back of the plane, and that's never a good sign. And he said, well, we've got a situation, which is not a good sign either. Right. And he said, we're running low on fuel. We can probably take a chance and try to land in Portland or we can go to um, Seattle. And we all looked at each other and said, Seattle. So we went to Seattle. And uh, I, as we landed, I said, it was about midnight. And I said, Mitch, you know who lives here? And he said, who? The Dennis Erickson. <laughs> oh, my, set up a meeting for tomorrow morning. Wow. And so we uh, set, set up the meeting for, um, for that morning. And uh, I met Dennis at the uh, lobby of the hotel and brought him up to the, the suite. And, and uh, the rest is history. Indeed it is. And how big, you know, I mean, you were involved in a lot of hirings and, and the difficult part of the job when you have to let people go, all of those things, Bob, but the hiring of Dennis and the introduction of Dennis as the head coach at Oregon State, it's still, to me, as in terms of landmark moments in the history of Oregon State Athletics, it's one of the biggest. How do you view the importance of that hiring and what it meant? Well, what it meant was, and I've and got to go back to Mike Riley, Okay, and give him credit yeah. for having no resources at all and being able to show that we could compete. I mean, we went, what, five and one that year? Or five and six that year? Yes, uh, yeah. My, my first year. 
And, you know, so the double overtime against the Ducks beating them. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but uh, Mike showed us that we can compete. So the next piece was our job was then to try to get the resources to make that opportunity work for us. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you look at what Dennis taking the hand off from Mike and moving the ball down, down the, the, the chains, as I say. And, uh, and then Mike coming back you know, four years later and taking it to another step. And so that, that was the, the beauty of the whole thing. Hmm. Bob, in terms of now, you know, I don't want to, this is a deep subject and we won't delve into it too much, but when you see what a former student athlete at Oregon State coming back to his alma mater and Jonathan Smith is doing and the completion of the stadium and so on, we don't need to get into the weeds of how we've all come to this place, but in terms of the, all of these developments on campus, and the, in a sense, the university has never been better positioned with Jonathan Smith back and what's going on in football do you, you believe in your heart, and I know you're pulling for it, that the Beavs can find a way, a good path forward here with Jonathan at the helm and a great staff and program to, to keep building the way you and Mitch helped get this thing going back in the late 90s? Well, what was that? Was there a question in there? Yes. Do you feel like, do you feel confident that even with the uncertainty and the anxieties about where things oh. are now, that they, they that, that they can still find a path forward to continue to prosper in athletics here. I think so. I think so. You might have to think out of the box a little bit. Um, you might have to get some help from some people that you've not gotten help from before. Uh, you might have to do it a different way. But um, I think there's no doubt about it. I mean, there's a lot of great things about the house. I mean, everybody kind of thumbs their nose us about being off the highway and all the other stuff. I don't believe that. I believe that if, if you've got a special place like I think we do, and I say we collectively with everybody in OSU family, that with the right support, um, you, can, you can make it happen. You can definitely make it happen. Last thing, Bob, kind of a two-parter, but uh, are you out of everything? In other words, do you still maybe text or, or talk with buddies who are in the business and, and a slight connection there, or are you completely out and standing by and watching this whole thing happen with the, the realignment and the, the horribleness? I'll tell you what, I'm standing on the sideline and just, just saying, I'm glad I'm not in this. Right yeah, yeah, it, it would be awful. And it's last just thing. It's just too hard. Yeah. You don't, you don't know who's pulling the strings and what's going on. I mean, that whole thing with the Pac-12 and how it disintegrated within – 24 hours i mean come on something was up there yeah so uh, yeah so i i tried to keep my sanity um i watch football on saturdays for sure that's a, a great thing but uh i'm not i'm not uh, feeling bad about being out of business yeah right and then last thing do you ever get to a game here or want to get to a game here and perhaps check out the new side Oh yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely do that. I've not been, I, I have not had the ability to do that yet, but uh, for sure. Bob, it is. Uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, and I said it before, but my hats off to Scott and his group. I've done a tremendous job in finishing that thing. Um, uh, obviously, uh, uh, the donors being part of that, uh, particularly uh, a shout out to the Leisure family. 
for all their uh, support over the years. Um, it's been it's been it's been great. Yeah, and your final stop, you know, in your career, uh, in actively involved, and from what I understand, Renee Baumgartner, the director of athletics, is coming up. She and her husband, and, and they'll be part to support you going into the Oregon State Athletics Hall of Fame Friday night. That stop, Bob, what did that mean to you? We'll close on this. But sort of your last uh, few years involved in athletics at Santa Clara to kind of put a bookend on your career. What were those years like for you? How much satisfaction did you get out of an experience like that? Well, again, it was, you know, like I said before, about trying to make the place better than what you found it. And uh, at the time, um, what was interesting with that, it was kind of like a parallel story to what the Beaver story was like. Um, they were on the verge of having some good success. They don't have football, obviously, but uh, having some success. They were in the middle of a major fundraising project to get all, all uh, sport um, uh, uh, building for uh, the campus, uh, $35 million, and she was on top of that. And it, it, it just reminded me of, in a way, reminded me of Oregon State and the, the opportunity that might be there to have some success. And, and what did you have to do to turn the, the corner? And a lot of it was the same stuff. It was, it was getting people on board that weren't on board earlier and making them believe and then, and then making it happen. Bob, congratulations on making so many things happen here in your tremendous career at Oregon State. We look forward to seeing you. I hope your, your daughters are able to come to. I look forward to seeing all of you Friday night at uh, the Toyota Club at uh, Research Stadium for the induction ceremonies. Thank you so much, and congratulations well, to you, Bob. Thanks for having me, and uh, go Bees. Thank you, sir. Bob DeCarolis, our guest. We'll come back with Kelsey Reese from the Oregon State women's basketball team. And just, it, I will s- share this. Well, you should have asked about Larry Scott. And Bob and I talked earlier today, and mm-hmm. this was meant to be celebratory in nature and someday. And maybe Carrie Eggers, who I know is writing a deep story, you can look at it. Maybe Bob will reflect a little bit on where he was and right, watching. Right. Not only you know, he's talked about the 24 hours and the disintegration from August 3rd to well, 4th. And where but it where goes he back. thought it all began exactly. on his watch, if it did. It, yeah, and I think... I think a lot of that will come out, but today was not the day to say, no. okay, what happened and why? No. But we appreciate Bobby D and his legacy here is a profound one at Oregon State. We come back with Kelsey Reese next on the Joe Beaver Show. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker, John Warren, our thanks to Bob DeCarolis, OSU Hall of Famer. Another one coming up in the great Stephen Jackson at 12.05, and then a little insight into Stanford football from their play-by-play guy, Troy Carty, coming up in the final hour of the show. We move on from a person who had a a great deal of impact on Oregon State Athletics and Bob DeCarolis to somebody who is getting to experience the fruits of Bobby D., Craig Robinson, uh, Scott Ruick, and others who put together the basketball center. That's right. That was under Bobby D.'s watch. It it is a practice facility second to none in our conference. And a person that's getting to experience that is... Part of the Oregon State women's basketball team is kind enough to join us on the Joe Beaver Show. Kelsey Reese taking some time today. Kelsey, it's nice to meet you. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. And I hope you are enjoying life in that practice center and as an Oregon State Beaver. How are you today? 
Hello, thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's going really well. It's it's great to be in that practice center and be able to get that work in every day in such a nice facility. Kelsey, thank you for uh, taking time to reflect a little bit on your journey from way down under in an area. I mean, we hear of certain cities occasionally in Australia where, okay, well, this person's from Sydney or this person's from Perth or whatever else. And I see Glen Elg North in South Australia when I look your hometown up. I don't know that at all. I've never heard of it before. Could you kind of fix that a little bit where you grew up? Yeah, so I grew up mainly in South Australia, uh, around Adelaide area. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But honestly, I grew up all over Australia. <laughs> we moved a lot as a kid, so uh, had spent some time down in Tasmania, time in Adelaide, and yeah. Okay, and Kelsey, you also, I don't know when you came to the game of basketball, but you obviously excelled at it early playing on national teams, U16, U17, 18, 19, U20 teams in your native country. So when did you come to the sport, and when did you know you were you were pretty good at it? Yeah, I think growing up, um, my mom and dad both played basketball professionally in the Australian Professional League, so that was always the kind of want to go into it. But as a young child, they didn't want to force any of me or my siblings into a sport. So they were like, oh, try this, try this, try this. But I think by the time of nine, I was um, in love with basketball, and that's what I wanted to do. And after that, I was lucky enough to be put in really good positions so I was able to make these Australian teams and have all these amazing experiences. And while having those amazing experiences, Kelsey, did you always have a mind towards a scholarship in the United States and a college education to keep playing the game and get an education here. Was that the end game and the goal kind of all along? Definitely not the end goal, but one of the goals for sure. When I moved uh, to Canberra to live at the Australian Institute of Sport when I was 15, there was a lot of girls that had just come out of that program and gone to college and just started coming back from college and it had become like one of those pathways in Australia for Australian basketball uh, that hadn't really been there before. So as soon as I talked to some of them and heard about how cool the experience is and how big college sports is and just the fan base and how um, amazing that they had found their time, it was something that I put on my list. I was like, yep, that's, mm-hmm. that's where I want to go. The Basketball Australia Center of Excellence is that, I mean, you live there, you resided there, you went to school there. How, how did that work exactly? Yeah, so when I was 15, I moved there. So it's in the capital of Australia, so it's in Canberra. Um, and there's 12 girls from all around Australia that get picked uh, and invited to come and live there. So you live at the Olympic Training Centre, you train every day with uh, high-level, high-performance coaches and then you go to a school right down the road. Were you comfortable, and was that an easy decision and experience? Did your parents sign off on it? I mean, that, that's a – how did you feel about it at that young age? Uh, as soon as I was offered it, I definitely wanted to go. It was one of those things, growing up and watching the Opals, the Australian uh, women's national team play that – so many of them had come through this program. So to get that invite and be able to go to that place and train at that place with that so many of the greats of Australian basketball had come through was 
something that I was always really excited about and not many people in Australian basketball would get that opportunity, which was really special. Kelsey Reese, our guest here on the Joe Beaver Show. All right, so you're well-traveled, as you said. You lived all over Australia. Then you come to the States and play at Utah for several years and then make your way over to Oregon State. Tell us about the decision, what you know, what drew you to Oregon State, and how it went when you had to tell people goodbye and then come in and try to mesh with a new ball club. Yeah, the process was... Definitely interesting, having gone through the recruiting process the first time to go to Utah and then having made that really tough decision to leave a place where I'd had such a great experience and made so many memories to uh, go out and try and find something that basketball-wise was a better fit for me um, was kind of tough. But as soon as I talked to the coaches here at Oregon State and then I was able to come on a visit and straight from the visit, I, we left that visit and I was talking to my dad and we were like, I don't know if we're going to find anything better. That was pretty amazing because just how good coaches are and how um, the, their style of play and the way that they able to really talk about the game and teach different things. I was like, this is where I want to be. I think this is going to help me uh, be the best possible player I, am, I can be and um, my future goal is to play for Australian like women's national team at the Olympics and I want to find somewhere that would set me up for that but also give me a good last few experience uh, years at college in a place that I also thought could go far in the tournament. So seems to be everything. Yeah, now being one of six newcomers, how well did everybody mesh? Did it take a while or was it fairly quick, in, in, including the freshmen coming in? I think the Italy trip really helped this team able to get that time and experience often on the court with a bunch of new people. As you said, a lot of the team is actually new freshmen uh, or other transfers coming in. But I think everyone's meshed really well. It's going to be really exciting to see how all the pieces fit together as we get further into the season. But so far, things are looking really good. Kelsey, is it difficult to separate or not being an elder statesman, in other words, a fourth-year player, but you're new to the team, how do you go about being a leader at that point? Do you just kind of sit back and, and wait, or do you start speaking up right away because you've been around the game for a while? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting uh, problem that you have to face. I think coming in in those first couple of practices, I wanted to make sure that I let my game and my effort and my hard work kind of show what I was about before I um, tried to lead too much vocally or anything. I think you can lead from the beginning, but I think it's important to do it in a way where I want to come in and be a part of the team and help the team get better. And I want all the girls to know that I'm going to work hard and therefore I expect, you know, the team to work hard as well so we can get to the goals we have all set for ourselves. But yeah, no doubt. And then the first game under your belt as a Beaver. Well, the exhibition game, but the first counting game the other night. How did you feel about your effort? Seven, uh, seven points, five rebounds, and 23 minutes. Yeah, it was, it was fun to be out there in front of all the fans, and um, to get the win with the team was definitely good. It was a, uh, probably as good as we would have liked to start, but to get the win is 
was really good and to see how we were able to come back in the second half and really um, mess together a bit more. And I was happy uh, with my performance. Obviously, there's always things after the game that you look back and you wish you did this, this, and this. But I was overall happy, and I thought as a team, we showed a lot of uh, excitement of things that could come, and we'll keep working on things that might not have gone as well. And Yeah, I think it was a, it was a promising sign. Kelsey Reese, our guest, a newcomer to the Oregon State women's basketball program, transferring in from Utah after a good run there and contributions to an outstanding program, now doing the same here. Kelsey, I visited with other, uh, Travis Bazana in baseball specifically, about what knowledge did you have? Now, Beaver baseball has been a, a pretty big brand with three national championships, so Travis knew of Beaver baseball before making his decision to come up here and play for the program. How much were you aware of when you were making your decision about Oregon State's tradition? You're playing for an assistant coach now in Devin Hunter, who will be honored Friday night as part of a Final Four team. So how how much were you aware of how good the Beavers have been through the years? My oldest sister actually played in the Pac-12 up in Washington. So since she started in the Pac-12, I definitely... um, Knowing that Oregon State had been that sort of basketball powerhouse. And then once I was uh, interested in coming here, I talked to a lot of people about that have come through the program in the past and were able to really get more of an inside knowledge on how good they have been. And they've had a really impressive run, and it'll be cool to get Devin's team. I think they're coming back, I believe it's this weekend. Yes. Um, to be honored. So that will be really cool to meet. But yeah, all the players that have being so successful for the program. Yeah, and the end goal then would be to be one of those teams coming back yourself many years from now, celebrating a trip to the Final Four or something big. And as you have two years, do you know yet, I don't want to put pressure on you, Kelsey, but with two years of eligibility, does it kind of depend how things go? Could you see yourself playing both of those years here? The plan currently is definitely to play both of those years. I think with the group we have and uh, it'll be great to get both years and hopefully make some noise this year and then continue into next year would be the plan at the moment. Yeah. Hey, Kelsey, it is a real pleasure to meet you and to have you in the program. Thank you for taking time for us uh, today. Good luck uh, this weekend and the rest of the way in a really exciting season and a compelling group. And John asked about the one game. I'll close with this. When you were down 17 the other day in the opener, I was there, saw the first half. I had called the men's game, then I had to go get involved in some other things. So I missed watching the second half. What happened in that second half? How did you guys kind of pull it together to outscore them 30 to nine and go on to win fairly convincingly? There was a belief amongst the team that we were winning that game. And I think I felt that at halftime in the locker room. And even in the first quarter, when things weren't going as well, that belief remained. And I think as the third quarter got underway, that was just, amongst everyone that was the okay we're doing this one possession at a time let's get a stop here score here stop here score here and that was the only focus it was just taking it back to just doing one thing right and then the next thing right and i think that was the recipe that allowed us to get back so quickly good methodology and i know you'll continue that going forward thank you for the time kelsey it's great to meet you welcome to beaver nation officially from us and we hope to talk again down the road thanks for joining us Thank you for having me on. It was great to meet you both. Thank you. Kelsey Reese, our guest. What a nice individual. Yeah. Good player, too. And as you 
you uh, provided her statistical line, she was very good. I mean, that's a big contribution in coming from behind and winning that basketball well, game. Well, first, first real start yeah. in a new uniform. I think it's going to be weird in January when they play Utah. And uh, they, oh, yeah. it's both a home and away thing. That'll be strange. But uh, and at 6'5", part of that big front line now for Oregon State. they they got a lot of height um, on their front line. So Gosh. I think it's going to be good. Just looking back, when I think about, and we haven't enumerated, we may get Coach Hunter on, Devin, to talk about representing. Not everybody's going to be able to make it back for the 15-16 induction ceremonies. Mm-hmm. But Brianna Brown, Samantha Signer, Katie McWilliams, Gabby Hansen, Colby Orham, Jamie Wisner, I think she is coming. Marie Goulish, not so sure. Javante Hill, Sidney Weiss is playing and won't or won't be able to make it, mm-hmm. I don't think. But uh, Taylor Calmer, uh, Taria Green, Devin Hunter, and Ruth Hamblin. What a that team went thirty-two and five, <laughs> won the conference sixteen and two into the final well, four. Wasn't that like only like four or five years after Scott got here? Yeah, yeah. And turned around a team that there was talk of discontinuing the program for a season. That's with Bob DeCarolis. There there would have been a number of things to talk about. But yeah. The hiring of Ruick is one of the big moments, too. It may be not <laughs> quite as large in the overall impact, Dennis Erickson, and the sport of football and right. all of that. And Bobby D was not the sitting AD. Mitch was when that happened, but Bob was a big part of the process. But that is one of the best and most important hires in Oregon State Athletics, Scott Ruick taking over at that time, as you said, when the program was in some disarray, and the job Scott has done has been phenomenal. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and taking a chance on a, a small college guy from George Fox. Yeah, not Alan Fox. <laughs> we'll break and come back with more open phones and texts from now until the top of the hour. Stephen Jackson at 12.05, the voice of Stanford at 12.30. Thanks for joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. Fresh floral arrangements, bountiful bouquets, gift baskets, and houseplants, always delivered fresh for any occasion. Stop in, call, or view Stargazer's selection online at StargazerPremierFlorist.com. Stargazer Premier Florist, 925 Northwest Circle Boulevard in Corvallis. Come taste the incredible flavors of India at Evergreen Indian Restaurant. Enjoy mouth-watering made-to-order Indian cuisine using traditional recipes and fresh spices, featuring a variety of entrees and tandoori specials. Evergreen Indian Restaurant is open for dine-in and takeout 11.30 to 2.30 p.m. and from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. daily, except on Tuesdays. Evergreen Indian Restaurant on Southwest 3rd in downtown Corvallis and on West 7th in Eugene. See the menu and order online at evergreenindianrestaurant.com. Hi, everybody. This is Mike Parker. We recently had the need to replace some major appliances, and I'm delighted to report that we called Brandon and his team at Kellenberger Appliance in Lebanon. We couldn't be happier with our experience. They answered all of our questions, put us in the best deal, and promptly delivered and installed a new washer and dryer. When you're in need of an appliance, I strongly encourage you to call Kellenberger Appliance. Visit Kellenbergers.com or stop by Kellenberger Appliance at 21 North Main Street in Lebanon. A big thank you from the Parkers to Kellenberger Appliance. For auto glass solutions, better call a glass man. Call 541-760-2277. Call the glass man. Hi, this is Jake the Glass Man. Do you need to repair or replace your windshield? Do you have questions? Stop by or give me a call. For auto glass solutions, better call the glass man. Call 541-760-2277. Call the glass man. 
We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker with John Warren. Open phones, texts, 497-5356, heading to the top of the hour. Anything that, when you think about all the, the, the accomplishments under Bob DeCarolis's watch, what's the most significant to you? The, the thing that you, watching him at work and mm-hmm. athletic directors, head coaches always come in for a lot of you know, scrutiny, criticism. And, well, how come this? How come that? I that's a, a pretty impressive list that I gave. And, and as I was uh, yeah. researching, getting ready to visit with Bob, seeing it in print right. or on the digital f- platform, but all of that, Reeser, Goss, Track and Field, Valley Football Center, Gill Renovations, Tommy Prothrow Football Complex Renovation, the Basketball Center, the Samaritan Medicine Center, Aussie Golf Center, the OSU Boathouse, Sports Performance Center, and the Dale Thomas Wrestling Facility, all under his watch, Johnny. That's a good legacy. As far as the biggest contribution would be, just the building itself of all of it, um, because the sports did did well. Every every sport. I don't think there was any other issues really. It was just about fundraising and and making sure that uh, that you make uh, you know you you continue with fundraising for building and and, and get competitive. And mm-hmm. as I he would, talked about, I yeah. would say Reeser as far as, because it would, it had made the biggest impact. It was the Reeser building in 05 that, that mm-hmm. then spurned a record amount of season tickets. And then from there, they say, they, they, the ominous, they, that that facility built quote unquote, all these other facilities that came after it because of the ability to have so many people, uh, and the loge, the money from the loge. And the money from the club, all of that changed everything. Mm-hmm. And getting that done was was a, a huge deal. Um, I know he loves softball. He coached it, had a great record, 144 and 81 as a softball coach at Michigan. That's a good record. That's a really good record. And he, he never talked about softball. Kirk Walker was getting mm-hmm. the job done, taking the team to the NCAA tournament every year and getting to uh, the World Series and and some Super Regionals. And I, I don't think he ever micromanaged. I think Bob kept out of that. And when we went on some trips and he did some analyst work with me on the radio, you know, he never second-guessed anything. It was just uh, he just knew the game and, mm-hmm. and talked about it. So um, I'm just – we had a lot of great times with him here in studio. Oh, yeah. He, uh, particularly when we'd go to break <laughs> and then he <laughs> – it was a little freer at times. Yeah, and that's that's the way it all is in the world. Yes. You, know, you have microphones on, lights on. That's why there's hot mics that capture things that aren't supposed to be on them. Right, because and you're And that become controversial. Yeah, and, and, and the worst thing in the world, especially here, is when you have that and you don't want anybody to come by and interrupt you because you're getting nuggets. That's true. Not that you can use, but that can make you feel better and have a better tenor, if you will, in presenting things True. on the show. So that deep background gives you a sense of things. Okay. Here's why. Yeah. The, you know, kind of behind the curtain, why, why this is, but you can't really talk about it publicly on the record, right. but it helps shape the way you present a message. Well, that, or yeah. if people really are in tune, you can tell by a demeanor. 
because, you know, we might be privy to some information that can settle things down right. or panic. But I don't remember really any other panic situation. The one thing you know, that was this was not the time or place to go back into the weeds of 2012 and thereabouts and the expansion of the conference and Larry Scott in those early days and decisions made and money that didn't come through. And the possibility <laughs> of Texas and Oklahoma right. and I mean, schools uh, coming in. Those are things that maybe, maybe in the deep dive that Kerry Agers always does. And I think yeah. Kerry... You know, Bob, as you, he, I thought he presented himself very well, given the battle that he's had. He went public with his diagnosis of Parkinson's mm-hmm. in 2011 and carried on here. We could see the beginnings of some of those issues for him. And in a fine column that John Canzano wrote a right. few months ago, and I think John's going to come back and write about him again. Kerry Eggers will, too. He talks about there are times that he's just walking along and will freeze up. Right. You know, entering a doorway, he'll yeah. just stop and stare for a while. Eh? Which others with Parkinson's <clears throat> right. have that hap- that happened to them. I mean, that was scary reading that. Yeah. And he says it. that's one of the things you can either get it or not. And he got it. Yeah. He's using a walker and he's mm-hmm. um, uh, physically, it's not good compared to what last time we saw him. Yeah. And, and it was a slow after the, I remember after uh, the announcement was made in 12, it, it took a few years, but he still was. Getting around and, and uh, you yeah. know. Coming in here and, and sharing his thoughts with us through yeah. all those last few years. Liked him a lot. <laughs> uh, respected him. Uh, he liked to bust my chops. That's why we went back and forth. Well, I know. And he even said to me off the air when I was, you know, talking with him before the show today and kind of lining him up to be on. He said, yeah, no, all we need to do is hire John Warren and he'll fix everything <laughs> in college football. So he, he. He was still busting your chops yeah, a little absolutely. bit, or either that or paying you the ultimate respect. If we had a little more time, I yeah. would have said, gee, sorry about your Phillies, but... Uh... Well, yeah, and I would be talking about the 1964 <laughs> Phillies, which Bob talked about listening through the 10-game losing streak right. infamous collapse as a younger person in 64. If he's 70 now, if I'm, so that what year was he? What were you years? born? He'd been 11. He'd have been 11 Yeah, and so suffering through it. Yeah. The, the Gene Mock mockery and collapse. <laughs> well, we've talked about it with him. We have. There. No, he suffered. When he was in the studio. He suffered. The one thing I loved about Bob, though, he did make himself available. He liked to yes. do it. He would come in yes. often, often for the mm-hmm. entire show, take questions. Yep. And uh, we didn't tell us things off, the, off during the break. Well, that's not really true. But. Right. <laughs> this is not, that was neither the time nor place talking about hiring Scott Ruick. Wayne Tinkle. Wayne is going into his 10th year and has taken the Beavers of the tournament twice with uh, the the Elite Eight run. I'm sure there's a great deal of, you, you look at certain things that happen and go, wow, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Those those have worked out pretty well. Not everything works out, but, but not everything does. And I, but I'm not going to say, so tell us about Gary Andrews. I mean, no. when, when Gary got hired, John, <laughs> yeah, I there were people celebrating. Yes. Yes. Because it looked like, and, and maybe that's where. You know, Deion Sanders said something the other day, which is you know, very true. I'm not sure everything he says fits that category, but <laughs> he, he says I'm 100, meaning 100% honest yeah, yeah, with yeah. all of you. But he said something that's very true when he was asked about the offensive coordinator situation and making a change. And he did say this. He said, now you all, you see just the surface of, of everything. There's yeah. a lot of stuff going on behind these doors and behind these walls that you'll never know about. We won't talk about it. You'll never know about right. it. But you see, this is the result. Pat Shermer is now calling plays. And he's right about there's so much more at play yeah. behind every. 
So with the Gary Anderson thing, you wonder if maybe there should have been a deeper dive. You know, let's get deeper into hey, his resume. Every, but on the surface, fooled. the resume looked great. He had everybody fooled. He had fans fooled. He had the whole world fooled. I was fooled for a minute. And then when he said, and no one no one listened to me, but he said at one point during the, he was either the hiring process or closely thereafter, something about, I don't know, that's not my part of the game. That's a defensive coordinator's job or something. He said, I don't know something. Well, yeah. And yeah. I thought, well, you know, you don't want to hear that from a coach, but uh, I'll keep a, a red flag marker on that. And then, and then a few years later, he said the same thing, only with specifics when someone said, why isn't Isaiah Hodgins playing? Go ask. I have no idea. Go ask his Kevin wide McGivern or, coach. Yeah. <laughs> and, I thought, and that's when everybody jumped on right. and said, yeah, there's a problem there. Right. So we, we everybody got fooled on that one. But his track record... His record. I remember thinking, "You're kidding me." Yeah, this. He wants to come here. I mean, he yeah, turned I, Utah I, State around just like that. Then he gets the Wisconsin job, and and had two good years. Yeah, there. and we only found out about a decline that was happening and a, a possible change. We only found that there out were deeper long layers after the there fact. were deeper layers, and maybe that's the one thing. If you look back over the the run that was impressive for Bob, maybe that's one thing where. But it's almost like. When he calls you or whatever and says, I'm interested in your job, yeah. it's not quite like Dennis Erickson doing that. Dennis had a better track record, <laughs> and that was an easier right. decision. But on the surface, that seemed also like a very easy decision. We have the great Steven Jackson coming up next. Roll tape, please. Here's the microphone. Is this thing on? This is KEJO Corvallis. Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And QID. 1240 Joe Radio. <laughs> Hello, are you ready? Are you ready? It's ready. Yes. Yes, it's ready. The Joe Beaver Show is on the air. Are you ready? Just like Donald Trump, Macho Man. I hope you're ready, brother. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready, Woodrow. You ready? I was born ready. Ready? No, I was ready. Lee, ready. Always ready, John. John and Mike are ready with all manner of meaningful dialogue, email, bits and bytes, tweets and texts. Oh, I see. You take care of both sides of the conversation. For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Joe Beaver Show. There's never been anything like this. Refreshing. Your greatest creation. Genius. Work of genius. And there they go. Indeed, here we go, and we used to watch the next guest. Oh, my goodness. How many times did... And there he goes. Oh, man. The great Steven Jackson joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. I remember that first touchdown against UCLA in a game that otherwise didn't go well, but it was a sign of things to come. Oh. One of the greatest uh, student athletes in the history yeah. of Oregon State University and going into, as he, well he should, the Oregon State Athletics Hall of Fame Friday night, then a distinguished 12-year career one of seven backs in the history of the league to have seven consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. You know what I hope? I, w- I hope and wish that when new players come in, they take them to the Jack and Ginny Wilborn media room and show them the big pictures on the wall and say, see that guy? Yeah. You yeah. might want to remember him. Well, he is. Uh, we are proud to say he's one of our own, and he's been on Scott uh, Barnes' advisory board. He's an OSU Foundation trustee. 
He is the great Stephen Jackson going into the Hall of Fame Friday night. It is so good to get in touch with Stephen again. Stephen, good afternoon. Congratulations to you. Thanks for taking time for us. What's on your mind about coming back to campus this weekend? Well, Mike, hold on. Before we get to that, I just must say, anytime I hear your voice, I smile because I know it's Bieber football happening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> but, no, um, it's been good. You know, it's exciting week coming up. Um, I, was, I had a chance to fly into Boulder, check out our beach last week down there in an impressive win, and I'm really excited about the game coming up um, along with the events around it. Yeah, and Stephen, you, we you were kind enough to jump on our broadcast briefly with Ron Callen as you were. You brought your phone out, didn't you? And Boulder, you wanted to capture on video the running of the Buffalo. What was that like for you and that whole experience in Boulder? It was uh, it was exciting. It was uh, you know my oldest son is seventeen and he's starting to really take to college football. I was explaining to him the tradition of Ralph there that runs out the tunnel. And me just being a football enthusiast, it was one of those experiences that I've always wanted to take part of. Colorado wasn't a part of the pack when I was in it. And, you know, um, having that opportunity to share something that I value with my oldest, it really meant a lot to us. And I think the bug of college football has really hit them. So it's all in all, it was a, re- it was a very rewarding day. And, I, and I, had to check, I got a chance to check off my bucket list. You know, I, I saw you and the great Ken Simonton, your teammate in 2001. You guys were on the sideline, so I thought, hey, we've got star power over here, even on the other side. But I do wonder, did you get to talk to Dion at all? Was that something? I mean, I don't know if you're close to him. Did you talk to him at all or Shador or Shiloh or any of those young men? I did it. I did. And I, um, I actually talked to Dion Jr., um, but he's, you know, he's not a part of coaching staff or playing at the time. So I did have a chance to, you know, just say hello to someone of the family. Yeah. But I did not. You know, it was all beavers, all business. And, you know, they were there for a job, and I didn't want to interrupt. Um, I was just happy to, you know, be a part uh, of the evening of the night because there was a lot of, it was a lot of excitement in the, in the stadium. And for sure, um, the beavers came out with the win, which I hope they would. And, you know, continue on the next week. Stephen, from your football mind standpoint, I, there were people who had a little uh, hand-wringing or angst about certain things about the way the game went. You put the ball in the ground a couple of times, and nobody likes that. But I thought when I went back and watched it again that the Beavers controlled the game. They were physically better. What kind of impressions did you have about that Beaver win? Exactly what you just pointed out. is that We dominated the line of scrimmage. Um, we played through adversity. Uh, no one wants to put the ball on the ground. And, and typically, if you do turn the ball over, that puts you at the odds, um, having the odds against you of pulling out a victory. So to be able to you know, make mistakes, weather those storms, and pull off a win in a dominating fashion, it shows that you know, being with football is you know, it's everything that it's always been. It's um, rough, tough, and we're going you know, to overcome whatever situation that may arise in a game or in a situation. Stephen Jackson joining us. He'll be inducted into the Hall of Fame Friday night. We'll talk about a couple of other guys who will also teammates of his that will be recognized here in a moment. But when you mention your son, Skyler, Skyler Rashad Jackson shares your middle name, Stephen. Are you, is he still in the playoffs? Are you still following him? Is he still alive? <laughs> no, no, no. They, they uh, unfortunately ran, uh, come up short in the semifinals of the playoffs here in Nevada. Um, they matched up against the mighty Bishop Gorman. And, yeah. you know, at some times, you know, high school football is more about 
maybe the, the other teams is a little bit more talented. So um, <laughs> it was a great experience for him. Um, but, you know, to make it to the semifinals, he has another year of high school next year uh, to approve on that. But it was a really good showing for him and his team, um, being that they just moved up, actually, in division. So I was really impressed with uh, the way that the, the young men and the young kids competed. What positions are, is he playing? Does he have? I mean, and again, as a father and a proud dad and a loving dad and all of it, does he does he have a shot to keep playing at a certain position beyond high school? He's a, a he's a wide receiver and a running back. He's a definitely a dual threat. He has the determination and the heart and the physical attributes. But it's all about what he wants to do next. You know, I can't make that decision for him. But if it's depending on just physicality and understanding of the game. I think you will be impressed. Hmm. Nice. Steven, this is John with Mike. And, <laughs> and Mike just took my question away, but I'll expand on it and say, as a father and a, and a pro bowler and an NFL and everything you did at Oregon State, how did you watch him as he started peewee football and where he is now? Are you a helicopter? Do you <laughs> constantly talk to him? Or do you back off? Or How, how does that go for you as a pro? He actually only started playing until he was a freshman in high school, so it was no TV football for him. Um, so I would say the first two years of high school football was just more about, let's see if you like it. Um, this junior year here, it's starting to put it together, the concepts and understanding, you know, the, um, the greater purpose of maybe like how games play out and, you know, situational stuff. And physical attributes, as I said, he's growing into his body. Um, he's a six foot six one guy with 205 pounds on him, so he's solid as a rock. And you know, um, as he continues to just make plays and starting to build on that confidence, it's starting to click for him. But I didn't want him to play um, pee wee football, to your point, because I wasn't around. I wasn't going to be around as much as I would like to have been. And because of that, I didn't want any bad habits or any bad coaching that you know kind of seep in there. So from that, you know, it's been a fun experience for both he and I. Uh, as a retired football player, I uh, I sit back objectively and, you know, I watch and record the games, but I never expound on it until he acts. Yeah, that's funny because, um, you know, quite often in, in the world of fatherhood, kids just don't listen to us. And and like I used to use, I used to use the example of Michael Jordan's kid might say to Michael, well, that's not what my coach says. <laughs> And I can see it with you. <laughs> well, that's not what my coach says. Well, you did your coach do, you know, and you could list all, all of your stuff off. But, no, it sounds like a great relationship, and it's, and it's working out great. So congratulations on that. But I'm not exempt. That, 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 that has happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stephen Jackson, our guest. Stephen, uh, thank you so much for reflecting on that. I mentioned going in that you're a, uh, an OSU Foundation trustee. Uh, you're an advisory. You're on Scott's advisory board. What do you make of the times we're in now? When you look at the program, where we are, the 2000 Fiesta Bowl team may have been a selling point to you to come and play for Dennis at Oregon State, but whatever the case, there's so much goodness going on and so much for Jonathan and his staff to sell, and yet here we are in this weird, wild, uncertain time. What do you make of where we are right now? It shows you that media money um, has too much say and too much power in what's supposed to be a student-athlete-led gaming conference. You know, we understand that facilities and money are is needed to attract some of the best talent in the country and to be able to compete at a high level. But I think sometimes um, the power of money kind of it, it, it waters down what traditions 
are and what, you know, regional football and competition should be. So from that point of view, I'm, I'm really disappointed in the leadership of the conference, but I, I will say I'm so proud of what, you know, Mr. Scott Barnes has done for us. Um, he's really stepped in there, been the leader that we all hoped. I was a part of that hiring process when we selected Scott, and, you know, he's, he's come through for us over and over again in this fight, and he's showing, um, he's showing who we are as a university and as alumni that, you know, we build, we're builders. You know, we're tough. We're, you know, we are humble at times, but we don't, we don't back down from any fight. And I'm really proud of what, you know, even Washington State standing beside us um, and what we're doing and fighting to keep the pack alive and, and show the other 10 schools, you know, we're not to just be stepped over or, walk, you know, or forgotten. You know, Stephen, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed because you had, you left here a year early and you went into the NFL. You made a lot of money and you did a lot of great things. You came out of Vegas when Oregon State did not have all these great facilities and you played here. You gave Corvallis a chance. And even after the great career that took you all over the country and all over the world, here you are back, still involved. That doesn't happen with uh, a lot of athletes. What is it about here that keeps you wanting to be involved and be a part of it? Because it really is fantastic. You, you don't need to be, but you are. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to truthfully you know, answer the question with the short amount of time we have together, but I would say, you know, the impact that the university had on me, um, I was a young kid that had a dream, and I had a vision for what I wanted to accomplish for myself. Um, the university and its partners helped me see that through, and I want to be able to give that to the other young men, uh, even the other young women that are star star athletes on campus. You know, um, it's really hard. You come in particularly from different states, and you may not be familiar with an area or the culture of the area, and you could, and you know, you could maybe not think you could flourish there, but lo and behold. It's one of the most supportive places you can be as a young person that's trying to find yourself and your identity. And, you know, I'm forever ingrated, grateful to, you know, University and the city of Corvallis because they allowed for me to grow. I, I, I had high ambitions. I had a vision for where I wanted to be and where I wanted to go. But nothing's guaranteed to your point. But, you know, that, that small collective group early in the 2000s, we wanted to, you know, Turn the tide of what Oregon State was and how people saw us, and that sure happened. Stephen Jackson joining us. You'll be inducted into the Hall of Fame Friday night. And, Stephen, to John's question, you it was important to you to get your degree, and you did so through the eCampus, and congratulations on that in 2020 in, in getting a degree from Oregon State in human development and family sciences. Why was that piece so important to you? Uh, well, uh, particularly, it was important to me for my mom. It was a promise that I made for my mom. Uh, you know, no one knew that the NFL career that I was going to have, it transpired the way it did. So, you know, seeing the need of taking advantage of a of a great hot night uh, in the Las Vegas Bowl for myself, you know, uh, say, hey, let's give, this, let's give this NFL draft a chance and see what happens and roll the dice. Um, 12 years later, I just wanted to keep my word to my mom and to my parents that I would be the first graduate of a college degree. And I was able to, you know, to make good on that promise to her. And then I would say to follow up with that, um, it just set the standard for the family. 
you know, my mom and dad were great providers for me. They created uh, the life that I was able to enjoy, and I just kind of want to continue on that legacy and continue to just set the bar higher and higher for the family. Now, you said that you did it for your mom, but after you completed it, and even during the process, but once it was done and you got it, for yourself, did you? were you happy you did it? Were you, away from doing it for your mom, were you happy that you did it for yourself? I'm not that person. You know, I, obviously I'm very proud of all the things I've accomplished. I, you know, I'm a forever student. I always want to learn about various topics to make myself better and more, more well-rounded. But, you know, I'm always a person that believes I'm just a vessel. I just try to be a source of inspiration for those that keep up with me and follow me. Uh, but I would say, yes, I'm very proud of what I did. But more importantly, you know, sometimes it's not even just about yourself. It's those that are maybe watching from afar that just want to know, you know, if Stephen goes on to have this long career, why did he come back and want to educate himself? It's simply because I want to be a better person. And Stephen, <clears throat> excuse me, Stephen, you've given back in a, in a very tangible way, and I'm wondering how this is all going. The Jackson Family Diversion, Equity, and Inclusion Fund that you announced the summer of 2021. How is that going? Why was that also important to you to come back and get involved in that way? Yeah, when you think about retention of talent and you're trying to attract new talent, um, it's really hard because there's a lot of great universities out there, but, you know, being tucked away in the Northwest, it's sometimes hard to get some diverse minds and some diverse people uh, up there. So I wanted to make an initiative and make a splash in that area that attracted some of the brightest minds. Not only because, you know, you have uh, people, you know, uh, from different parts of the, the country that they want to see and never been to the, the Northwest, so it gives them that opportunity. But for the students on campus, you know, the, the more you can have people with different thoughts and opinions and, and beliefs, it helps make, you know, for a better experience and, and as a whole for the university. And for the, for the students, um, it gives them another sense of what life can be. You can find out more about all of this, sj39.com, a website. You can follow Stephen on X, sj39, at uh, sj39. Last couple of things, Stephen. We'll look forward to seeing you Friday night. And that is your own decision to come up to this tucked in the corner, as you say, in the Pacific Northwest, out of Las Vegas. The El Dorado kid comes to Oregon State. So how did that all come about? Dennis, I mean, uh, what drew you here? Yeah, Coach, his first, first and foremost, it was Coach Dennis Erickson. He, he was an amazing recruiter. Um, he, he had a, he had at that time what well, seemed to be just like his fishing pond. He had Richard Siegel, he had Jonathan Pollard, mm-hmm. he had myself. So he had found a little nice hotbed of talent that no one else was really tapping in. Mm-hmm. So he was an amazing, um, had an amazing eye for talent, and he found us down here. But I was in the community. You know, um, Oregon State at the time was rising through the ranks that you mentioned, the Fiesta Bowl, um, the determination of what Ken Simonton was able to accomplish as a running as a running back there. And, as you know, just I wanted to be in the Pac. I wanted to play in the Pac-10 at the time, but I wanted to be in a big Power 5 conference. And I thought it was just a natural fit. Uh, the rough and toughness of the team, the, um, the experience of the coaching staff, and the and the, also the opportunity of having Ken being a senior, I knew that job would be open. And I, I, I bet on myself. Yeah. yeah, we're so glad you did. And now Friday night, a culmination in a sense, although it's not over. You're still always going to be very much involved, as you've shown in your life, with your alma mater here at Oregon State. But you go into a, a Hall of Fame with a distinguished class, which includes 
Mike Hass, Alexis Cerna, and your final coach in college and Mike Riley. Could you give us a thought, Stephen, about those three men in particular and and just part of you being in, in the same class with them this Friday night? It's an honor to be a part of that class. Uh, you know, I, I had a chance to, my teammates first, I'll uh, talk about Alexis and Mike. I saw both of guys come in young and um, wanting to just make the team, wanting to have a, a role and an impact on the team. So, so to go on and see them have their own Hall of Fame careers respectively is amazing because we all grinded together. And then for Coach Mike, you know, Coach Riley, when he came back from his NFL stint, uh, you never know what you're going to get. And he came, and I would say he was a 180 from Coach Erickson, but at the same time, he helped me become a better football player. You know, I went from a single back kind of um, running running style and and personnel that Coach E liked to run to more of a uh, two-back formation, two-tie-in double set. So uh, being a part of both offenses and have the experience of both coaches, it allowed for me to get the broad spectrum of personality as well as, you know, that football, my football IQ that just built upon itself, and which prepared me for you know my NFL career in 2004. Yeah, and I, I do a TV show talking Beavers. Jason John Baptiste, a former teammate of yours as well. Jason says of Mike, he said it on our show this week. If I ever have a son, I'd like and he could play football. I'd want him to play for a man like Mike Riley. So you know that's high praise coming from one of your former teammates too. I don't think there's any doubt about the love and respect people had for Coach Riley. Absolutely. And actually, you know, uh, side tidbit, uh, when Coach Riley took the Nebraska job, I made my way there to see him in his office, and he hadn't even unpacked. And his eyes, you know, kind of woke it up with just the sense of he was just stunned that I made my way down there to just see him and wish him well and just wanted to sh- just show him that I follow him. I, if he anything I could do as a support uh, from the outside in, I wanted to be let him know that, he was a beaver. I saw, I saw, I still saw him as my coach. And although he may have on red, he really still was orange and black. Yeah, as you always will be mm-hmm. in our hearts, no matter the great, the great run you had with the Rams as their all-time leading rusher and all the accolades. Stephen will will always consider you a beaver through and through. The man-child, as Dennis called you, and you were. We were honored to watch your career here. And really honored to have you on the show today. Thanks for making time for us, and we'll see you on Friday night. All right. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Stephen Jackson, Hall of Famer. Amazing. Uh, great career, and somebody who is much deeper than just, you know, I'm going to go play football and make a yeah, lot of money. Yeah. And, you know, That's what I kind of was meaning, coming back and being involved you know, with if, Oregon State. How about this? If... If, and it's all, you know, Beavers win Saturday against Stanford. And coming up next, we're going to talk to the Stanford guy, get, mm-hmm. a, get a feel from Troy about this Stanford team playing good football. But if game day ends up coming here and you have a, you know, a a, a, a pick, a guest picker, what, what's the call, guest selection picker yeah, of games yeah, yeah. from the alma mater. I mean, this would, would be, be a tremendous game. I, I hear other names, too, mentioned. Well, I but mean, I'm just saying you, you couldn't, about go, it. couldn't go wrong right here. No, an all-time Rams rushing leader, yeah. and he's fairly fresh from retirement. Right. Now, there's, you know, Chad is getting a little bit of run in that, too, if it comes about, because of how, Steven because of his more star power. Oregon State. But that's true, yes. He's more, I won't say more of no, a beaver, but no, he's but been you, around more. True, and Chad played one year and hasn't had the same state. Right, right. But it also could be, if it ends up being Chad Ochocinco, 
if it happens. Yeah. All of this is if, 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 if I get yeah. it. That also might be a way to kind of, you know, get him back. Maybe him. Well, Stephen's already yeah. well involved. Yeah. So there's arguments that could be made about who might be yeah, the best GP person to serve. Could be someone, Gary Payton. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... There's not a, necessarily a lot, but there's some, certainly some strong choices that you could have if it comes to that. Sure, sure, I I, I agree. Um, but if it's going to come to that, the Beavers need to beat Stanford. Which yes, they do. And I guess I didn't see it, but I guess Herb Street yesterday was on with someone and kind of basically saying that it, he thinks they'll be in Corvallis. Oh, uh, did he? I saw. Oregon I saw. State and yeah, I saw a headline to that effect. Did you actually see the text of the interview? Uh, I saw a quote it from was Herb Street. embedded in another article I read. But you I, did actually see the quote yeah, from Herbie. Yeah. Okay. Good. I mean, I can't quote. Yeah, quote I know. Verbatim, I know that there said, are people uh, that say mean things about, about uh, Herb Street. So, no, not Herb Street. Just ESPN and the oh, power. Yeah. And and where it's all gone, but it still would be a cool event, wouldn't oh, it, it would Beaver be, Nation? Absolutely. I mean, you're going to say now we don't want you because of what you've done to us. Is that how some of you actually feel? Well, anyway, we'll no. take a break. We'll come back with the voice of Stanford next on the Joe Beaver Show, Joe Radio. <laughs> you know what I mean. I do. You know what I mean. All right. It is a pleasure. You've been working with our next guest, well, Roy Clarity. See, the- we did the old, uh, oh, really? Oh, really? Well, sure. But you got to come on our show. No, because I, you're going to be. Have you been on his? Or you're going no, to that's, be. That's that's tomorrow. Okay, very good. Well, we and, get and Troy. I'm happy to do it. Troy Clarity, the voice of Stanford sports, a Stanford graduate. So what a great opportunity to come back to the alma mater. And he's been working in Stanford broadcasts, live streams, and other platforms. But he is the voice of Stanford football and Stanford men's basketball, and working alongside a guy that's been on the show many times in John Platts. I'm sure there's no better sort of right hand person to have in getting fully immersed in the, the world of the big-time stuff at the on the farm with football and men's hoops. It's an honor to welcome Troy Clarity to the Joe Beaver Show. Troy, good afternoon. Fellas, it's awesome to be with you. You know, hearing that promo coming in and hearing some of those uh, old-school names from uh, <laughs> Beaver football. I mean, Bill Earthquake Enyer, yes. that's one of the great nicknames of all time in all college football. When you're a running back and your nickname is Earthquake, you pretty much know where you're standing, but it's awesome to be with you guys. Hey, hey, good pickup on your part. You may even make a reference to Earthquake Enyer during your broadcast if we hope a Beaver running back rumbles into the end zone. We'll see how that goes, but... But thanks for picking up on that. Yeah, yeah I know. Right. Hey, and to that end, let's get let's get right into the. We just had Stephen Jackson, by the way, just ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Stephen Jackson mm-hmm. himself, our former Beaver great running back, was on. Now you reference Bill Earthquake Enyard. So there's been a tremendous running back tradition historically at Oregon State. And as you see Troy getting ready for the game, it looks like the Beavs have some pretty good running backs in a running game right now too. Yeah, yeah, and, and certainly led by Martinez, who just seemed to pretty much win Pac-12 Freshman of the Week honors pretty much every single week uh, during his freshman campaign and still seems to be on that uh, same trajectory in that 2023 season. So, you know, the ladies in the long line, you mentioned Stephen Jackson, Ken Simonson, I remember him uh, back during his days uh, with the Beavers as well. And, and of course, you know, it, it's, it's intriguing when you talk about Oregon State's running game. And I asked uh, Stanford head coach Troy Taylor about this earlier this week. Uh, what what in particular helps make that Beaver running game so effective? And he said, well, one, the fact that they play great defense on the other end. 
that allows them to commit to the running game a bit more and be a bit more stubborn in sticking uh, to the running game. So certainly that helps out a little bit. A little bit. The horses up front. And, and the Stanford defense that, look, statistically, let's be honest, they're not going to wow you. Even though they only gave up seven points to the Cougars last week, a uh, fantastic and stirring effort on all levels uh, from the Stanford defense. Uh, so overall, it's been a bit of a struggle, uh, especially on third down and at times, especially on the ground. So, you know, the test, you know, you, you guys know this. I mean, the Pac-12 an absolute gauntlet from top to bottom. The test will continue to keep coming, and they'll continue to, keep, uh, they'll, they'll continue to get, uh, get tougher and tougher as the season goes along. And certainly uh, a Stanford uh, defense that has trouble stopping the run at times will have, could potentially have a chance again this Saturday. You know, Stanford looks like they're playing so much better than they were at the early part of the year. Can you put your finger on what made things around for this uh, Cardinal club? A couple of things I think have kind of established themselves. The, the first thing is that, and even though Troy Taylor has not come out and specifically said this, Stanford has a legit bona fide QB1 right now in Ashton Daniels. Earlier in the season, uh, you saw a bit more of a rotation at the quarterback spot between Ashton Daniels and Justin Lampson. Now, you saw a lot of Justin Lampson last week in Pullman, but that's because he was playing a bit more of the running quarterback style, the package of plays they have for him. But that's because he, and he was also lining up split out wide to the left you know, as a wide receiver, and they're handing him the ball on occasion to throw it and line up to the tight end and taking the ball on end of rounds as well. So, you know, Justin Lampson has, has, has proven himself to be kind of Stanford's best rushing threat uh, so far this season. But once Stanford settled down on the QB1 with Ashton Daniels, who performed brilliantly in the second half and overtime against, or, against Colorado, of course, to help Alec Manor just blew up and leveled up on the Buffs that night and played very well uh, despite not having a lot of help around him against UCLA and had a stirring and sterling game, 449 yards of total offense uh, against Washington. The fact that Stanford has been able to have been a bit more productive on the scoring end of things offensively. But I think that's a direct correlation to how Stanford has grown uh, at the quarterback position and how Ashton Daniels has solidified himself um, as QB1. His, his sense of the game has certainly heightened a bit as the season has gone along. His leadership has never really been in question at any point throughout the course of the season. So, so there is that. And defensively, Stanford has been able to dial up pressure. They've been able to do a better job uh, of, of getting pressure on the outside. Tevu Safidi's really been coming on the last few weeks. Wilfredo Ibar has had nice moments um, as well. And Stanford not being afraid to send safeties. It was amazing. Um, we were talking to Mitch Lieber, one of the Stanford safeties last week, and he said, hey, I had to learn pass rushing skills all over again this year. It's something they just didn't do under the previous regime. So Stanford's been able to be a bit more risky defensively a bit um, as well. So I would, say, I would say that those two things have kind of gone hand in hand as far as Stanford uh, playing better overall mm-hmm. than they might have a point throughout the first five games of the season. Troy Clarity, our guest, the voice of Stanford uh, Cardinal Sports here on the Joe Beaver Show. How do you pronounce the name of your number one wide receiver, Ayan Amanor? He just said it. Amanor? Alec Isle Manor, the young man from Medicine Hat, Alberta, but he went to prep school in Massachusetts. Huh. Got the opportunity to come to the to come to the farm, and uh, he's he's made the most of it so far this year. Legit deep threat. Um, he is fast, but he plays fast as well. And there's certainly a big difference between the two uh, between the two things. And uh, makes tough catches in traffic as well, and can speed away from defenders too. So 
So certainly the emergence of Isle Manor um, and Tiger Botmeyer, who's been a nice little playmaker at the freshman uh, at wide receiver. Again, those have certainly gone a long way towards helping the out the Stanford passing attack as well. And was it the Colorado game that Iowa Manor, Manor went for, for 297 yards? What was that like? 13 catches, 294 yards, and three scores. And keep in mind that all of those catches and all of those yards and all of those scores came in the second half and in overtime. Just an absolute – look, Stanford has had some receivers come through. I go back to Troy Walters, mm-hmm. you know, dropping three touchdowns on UCLA back in 1999 and 278 yards. Uh, Doug Baldwin, you know, back in the mid to late 2000s, certainly underrated, I think, at the time, but certainly, you know, you guys know had the fantastic career that he had up with the Seattle Seahawks. But Isle Manor was just – you can almost hear, you know, you're playing Super Mario Brothers, you know, and Mario gets the star, <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the music changes to that invincible music. That's what it was like watching Isle Manor play against the Buffs in the second half and overtime of that one. He just really, really put it all together that night. It was, it was such incredible fun to watch. I have not seen, nor have any of us seen, every catch in college football this year, Troy. Troy Clarity, the voice of Stanford, joining us. But the catch that Ellick made off the helmet and pulling it back in for the touchdown over Travis Hunter, I mean, that's one of the greatest catches not only this year, but any year that I've ever seen. That I'm curious about that play, as you called it, what your thoughts were, but also what, is, what that catch in that game and that moment and that comeback in terms of Stanford being a center of attention in the college football world for a while because of who they were playing, what that catch meant in that moment. Yeah, it was, it was kind of nice to see Stanford kind of take over the the, the, the role of the, the, the team in the Pac-12 that everyone was talking about and just kind of take the mantle away from, uh, from Colorado, who we really, quite honestly, haven't heard from since much over the past few weeks, have we now? No. Um, but, you know, I, I, I kinda, I've kind of dubbed that the headhunter grab <laughs> by Iron Manor as he reached around Travis Hunter's head there. And full, disclose, full disclosure, I actually missed that game. I didn't call it. Oh, I had committed. I had committed to doing Miami, North Carolina for Westwood One back in mid July, and there was no way for me able for me to be able to get out of Denver and head to uh, Raleigh Durham anywhere near in time to make it mm-hmm. that to, to make it for that game. So you know, I actually missed that game. Uh-huh. I was actually watching that game from my hotel room deep in the jungles of the Research Triangle Park. But you can best believe. I was sure as heck leading the cheers yeah. from that Marriott. It was still incredible to watch. My phone was still blowing up, you know, past 2 o'clock East Coast time that night. Wow. It was still so much fun to see that team get that win, a program that needed that win, a fan base that needed that win as well. All right, next time that happens, call me, and I'll either take care of the Westwood 1 game or the Cardinal game. <laughs> Troy Clarity, our guest here on the Joe Beaver Show. All right, we got to talk about the the elephant in the room, the thing that uh, is just crazy. I I heard Troy Taylor on an interview once, and by the way, I'm impressed. I am impressed with his sound mm-hmm. bites. He has a great voice. He sounds like a really nice guy. But beside the point, mm-hmm. he basically said, "We can't do the NIL thing here. We just it's not our world. So we have to recruit differently. We have to recruit and get more creative." And these kinds of things. So I guess it's kind of a combination of that comment from your coach with where things are right now. And what was it like this summer when you guys, you and, and Cal are being thrown around the ACC and then it all kind of settles in and you're in the ACC. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, wh- what were you thinking? And what and what was Stanford thinking? You don't think that there's a fan base down there in the Bay Area, which is all sport, all pro sports, up in arms over anything. But what is it? Uh, there, okay, there, there, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, first, let me just let me just let me just say this, and this and this is just me speaking me speaking personally, not on behalf of Stanford, but just but just just me, me speaking personally. And I, I think I think you guys will share my thoughts on this as well. In particular, the dissolution of the Pac-12 is absolutely disgusting, and and the reason why the Pac-12 is breaking up is disgusting. And seeing. You know, we were in Pullman last week, and I used those exact words during my pregame show last week. Obviously, they're going through the same things that, that the folks in Corvallis um, are, are going through as well. Um, and it makes, it, it makes me ill when I think about, look, Stanford's losing all these series and all these rivalries and all this, all this sort of stuff. It is going to be strange not to see USC on the schedule anymore. It is going to be weird not to see Oregon, Washington, Washington on the schedule anymore. But you know what? USC will be fine. Oregon will be fine. Washington will be fine. UCLA, you know, Arizona State will be fine. Don't know about Washington State. Don't know about Oregon State. So losing those series in particular, those kind of are a bit more of a gut punch to me than, than losing the other series um, that, that, that Stanford is, has, has cultivated, you know, not, not just over the, past, over, over the course of decades, but centuries, man. Mm-hmm. You know, centuries. You know, Stanford and Washington go back 130 years. They've been playing college football in between those two programs. So, yeah. you know, I, I, am, I, am, I am now I am excited. I'm relieved and I'm glad that Stanford has found a landing spot. And I'm glad that, you know, Stanford and Cal uh, seem to be pretty simpatico with the ACC in a lot of different ways. The ACC probably besides the Pac-12, the uh, other Power Five conference that actually does more than just pay lip service to women's and Olympic sports. Those two things are very big things at both Stanford and Cal, mm-hmm. and they're very big things both in the ACC as well. So it's nice to have that landing spot there. I'm looking forward to heading to Clemson next year. I'm looking forward to heading to Syracuse next year and trying to find a table at Dinosaur Barbecue somehow the night before the game. And it's going to be a trip when Louisville comes here next year, and I'm trying to figure out how the game involving the Cardinal and the Cardinals. So there's a lot to be excited about with Stanford going to the ACC in the future and all those sorts of things. But, you know, both things can be true. Excited about the future, but disgusted by what it took and the reasons why all this was happening. Is there any base that it's an outcry as a fan base down there, or is it just too much about pro sports? Uh, I, I think as a fan base, I think Stanford fans just kind of realize what it is, mm-hmm. and they're just kind of keeping it moving and going forward, right? I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, there's not a lot that can be done about it now at this point. Um, and, and I think in some ways, you know, Stanford realizing, and Stanford, you know, is, is, is a national university, right? It's, it's, not, it's, 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 it's much more national in scope. You know, kids come to the, kids come to the campus, not just from, from all over the country, but, all, for, but from all over the globe yeah. as well. And that's reflected in Stanford's recruiting. And Stanford has always been recruiting throughout ACC country. They've mm-hmm. always done pretty well in grabbing kids from Georgia, grabbing kids from North Carolina, grabbing kids uh, from other points of the ACC footprint that don't necessarily jibe with, with, with what you think the ACC footprint might be necessarily, if you know what I mean. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's just more relief than anything else 
um, that, that Stanford and Cal, to a lesser extent, um, aren't, aren't going to be necessarily mm-hmm. in the wilderness. I mean, obviously, it doesn't solve all the answers. You know, it doesn't provide all the answers. It doesn't solve all the problems that are going to crop up as a result of this. But uh, it, 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 be, it beats the alternative, which, unfortunately, right. is what is being experienced in Corvallis and Pullman right now. Exactly. No, it does. It does. And, and, and these yeah. are very challenging, difficult times. We've got a football game. Saturday afternoon that we're really looking forward to, Troy. And I'm also looking forward to meeting you and saying hello to John Platt, your broadcast partner. What's it been like for you to sit alongside someone such as John with all of that institutional knowledge? <laughs> I'll tell you a quick, quick, quick brief story. We're at the, UC, or the USC game, and uh, we're at the half. And obviously it's the last time Stanford and USC are going or, or is on the schedule for the foreseeable future. And so, you know, John and I at the half, you know, we just start riffing on, 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 the, on the history and the high points uh, of, of the Stanford-USC rivalry. And he pretty much went through it all with no notes, right. just straight riffing, right. no notes at all. And there were things that I knew, going back to John McKay and John Ralston back in the 60s and Bill Walsh coming along in the 70s and USC, which was so dominant, you know, throughout the 70s and into the 80s. And then Stanford snatched the mantle right back from them. Uh, throughout the last 15 years. Stanford has been to three Rose Bowls in the last 15 years, and USC's been to one. I feel the need to point that out. Uh, but, but just, you know, the, 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 the uh, encyclopedic knowledge mm-hmm. that Platt has of just, just the history of Stanford sports. And certainly looking forward to uh, sitting next to him a bit more as the, as the basketball season begins, because that's where his wheelhouse Right. Um, really is so it, it's been fun so far i'm looking forward to more as the season goes along hey and the last thing troy kind of uh, we're bouncing around here a little bit but the football itself preparing over the years as i have this is year 25 for me with the beavers but to see what jim harbaugh did then david shaw and the incredible run coach shaw had the decline was i'm sure somewhat painful to watch it was kind of slow and then the slowness picked up a little momentum in terms of where the program was when david decided to, said, it's time, and stepped down. What a great coach in person. Troy Taylor takes over. Do you see some signs? I mean, what's your sense about what Troy inherited after the great run through most of this uh, Harbaugh-Shaw era? How's Troy going about rebuilding it? Well, well, the Beavers certainly didn't help out matters much last year with that result. I still can't (laughs) believe that that game finished um, the way that it did. And look, it's going to take time. You know, Stanford, as you guys know, is not the kind of school where the head coach can come in and just flip the transfer portal switch right. and bring in 60, 65 brand new guys and try to field a ball club out of that. No, that's, 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 not, that's not how the university works. And as a result, that's not how the program is allowed to work. So, you know, as, as you hinted to earlier, you know, Troy Taylor, as he told me during the during Pac-12 football media day down in Vegas in July, he said, look, we got to build through the draft. we got to develop guys and make sure that, that they not only come here, but that they stay here as well, you know, three, four years instead of, you know, sticking around for two and then bolting and, and, and leaving for, for someplace else. So, you know, that, that, that's pretty much step one. But I think that you're seeing, you know, last week was an ugly win. Ugly, ugly, ugly win. Ten to seven, mm-hmm. yes, the score indicates how things went in that game. But if you want to be a winning program, those are the kind of games you need to win, yeah. right? Yeah. Ugly games on the road and winning in ways that you might not necessarily be expected to win. Who would have thought that the Stanford defense of all sides of the mm-hmm. ball would have carried the Cardinal to a victory there? So, 
you know, you see the signs. You see the growth of the quarterback. You see the physicality in the defense. You see Stanford not packing it in against the fifth-ranked team in the country when they could have, mm-hmm. when they were down relatively quickly early in that game. They kept fighting. They kept moving. Now, winning at home would be nice. Oh, by the way, Stanford is a winning record on the road, no matter what happens uh, on Saturday this week. They've already clinched that, so that's intriguing to see. But you see the things that you need to see, the tough stuff that you need to see mm-hmm. in, in building a program. And who knows how it all turns out starting next year, but, but this year you're seeing the signs that I think a lot of folks were, were asking for uh, when this thing began. Troy, uh, thank you for your time. It's nice to meet you. Congratulations on on being the football and men's basketball voice at your alma mater. I know that's a dream come true, as you've indicated. And so congratulations on that. And we look forward to welcoming you into Reeser on Saturday. Thanks for making time for us. Uh, Corvallis is one of my my favorite spots. I'm looking forward to seeing the new West Side of Reeser Stadium. That will be a lot of fun. It's very nice. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the time. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay sane and go Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Troy. We'll see you on uh, Saturday, Troy Clarity. Boy, he does mention a game every se- John Wilner wrote recently. Every season, a season turns on one or two plays. You think about Stanford ahead of the Beavers, 24 to 10 in the fourth quarter last year. 24 to 10. Silas Bolden makes the amazing catch getting his foot down. And then the Beavers uh, get, <clears throat> I think, they went for a two-point conversion and didn't get it, so it's 24-16. Oh, yeah. Then get a field goal to make it 24-19, then get the stop and get the ball over the top in Treshawn Harrison with the incredible catch. That's the Off one. the almost shades, a precursor, not as great as the catch by Io Manor against right. Travis Hunter, but a similar kind of grab. Right. And you pull it out of the fire. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, they had to because they were favored and they were, they should have won that game. Well, they did. But, but that's uh, one of the most unlikely comeback and catches and moments, and that helped the Beavers get to 10 wins. To have big years, you need to have the ball bounce your way once in a while, as it did mm-hmm. for the Beavers in 2000 at UCLA when Robert Prescott didn't run the right route and Marty Maurer with the intended receiver. Prescott was supposed to have cleared and gone the other way. Maurer gets blasted. The ball pops into the air. And Prescott is there because he ran the wrong route. <laughs> Picks the ball out of the air and scores. Beavers beat UCLA 44-38 to in the Fiesta Bowl year. Without that play, in that moment, you don't go to the Fiesta Bowl. That's right. So, That's yeah, right. The, these seasons and the, and the little plays that turn things, one never knows. We'll wrap up the show next. It's been a busy one. We appreciate you joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. Uh, Costas and Got ripped. Al Michaels getting criticized. By the way, if they come, two of the greatest. Speaking of Michaels and Herb Street, people say, and I read stuff. I don't hear them enough to know, John. Yeah, people say that mix is not the best, and that they don't seem to really engage one another or like each other all you know that what? much. Do you have any feel for that? Yes. No, I don't. Okay. No, not about people. Well, yes, because everybody complains about everything. True. So that's just, whatever. You complain, Twitter, get on Twitter and complain from your mom's basement. There's that. I, um, it, it's weird because Michaels has always been the pro guy and Hurt True. Street is outstanding as a, as a, uh, a college guy. So it's just odd for me to hear Curb Street doing so well. He is very prepared for every game. He's got I'm great sure he analysis. Yeah. He breaks it down. He sees things. That I, I, I just, uh, all these analysts 
whether they're good or not with their their what they say and things like that, they're really good at seeing things. Sure, what the defenders are doing far before I can mm-hmm. see it, and they're going, "No, take a look at the safety here." I'm like, I wasn't looking at the safety; I was looking at the quarterback and what he was going to do with the ball. It's just the oddity of of Herb Street doing college, I True. think, that makes people go, "What? This and is maybe, weird." And maybe people then listen in and think they're predisposed to think that it's not the best of mixes. And so TJ when, says, "Yeah." Bo- this is what we yeah, were talking about okay. off the air. Both sound half asleep and bored, as they call games. That's T.J. Matthewson. Yeah. Okay, he's on his way back in with audio from practice. Okay. Now that, but see, but see, what T.J. just wrote is a common theme in when I do <clears throat> occasionally dive into responses to an X or responses to a column about broadcasting or whatever. Yeah. That comes up often, and I wonder... Is it true, or is it just a few people say it and then everybody else starts saying it? They sound bored and uninterested and not really engaging with each other. I don't know if that's true, but I do know what is true is that's a narrative about how they work together. Well, yeah. So I don't know if it's true no, or not. No, that, that, that is a narrative. But is it a narrative just on Twitter, or is it a narrative by everybody right. across the country? Well, I'm if if things go as we hope on Saturday... And that is the Beavers taking care of business, and Washington probably will too. The threat level for both, you've got to be on alert because there's a lot of talk about the next game for both programs. <clears throat> and the Beavers really need to be locked in to take care of a, an improved Stanford team that Troy Clarity just talked about. Right. But it's likely, I think even likely, not just a chance, but likely based on this whole Herb Street said in an interview something about, I think we're going to Corvallis. Well, yeah. okay, if they do. We'll effort. We'll try to get Kirk himself on. And that would be a question. I said, what do you make of people who say that you and Al aren't, the, uh, you know, certainly he's not going to say, well, they're right. I'm not you, really interested in ask, it. And I don't like Al very do much. Do you ask that question? Oh, I, I might just ask, what's the dynamics like doing a college game and a pro game? People have said that you're more enthusiastic about the college game. You know, just what, what are your thoughts about that kind of criticism? Anyway, we'll see you tomorrow. K-E-J-O Corvallis. And translator, K-229-D-I Corvallis. The home of the Beavers. 1240 Joe Radio.